Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk for a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to be talking Yankees baseball this week. I'm going to be joined by Dan Federico, author of the Bronx to Bushville blog, friend of the podcast. We're going to talk New York Yankees baseball, some of the latest we've seen from the Yankees as you get ready for the 2020 season, which, again... Knocking on that wood that we have it happening because there have been some concern issues with the coronavirus testing protocols in baseball. I'll get to that in a minute. Also going to have today the Yankee Fan Forum. Yankee after the baseball beat, Anthony Sorbellini is here. I'll also be joined by Troy Moriello, Ian Sachs, noted Yankee fans. We're going to talk about some issues surrounding the team. I want to put out here at the top of the show, this conversation happened before our conversation with Dan. It happened on July 1st, so some of the information... Might be slightly out of date in terms of like DJ LeMahieu had not tested positive when we had this conversation. Mazer Tanaka had not had his injury when we had this conversation. That stuff, keep in mind, what the vast majority is still relevant. So that's why we were leaving it in there. Also, Pop Calls of Week, we're going to go to a all time classic baseball movie. I'm joined by the show as pop culture correspondent Sam DeRosa to talk about Feel the Dreams, the iconic 1989 baseball movie. Seems appropriate this year, considering the baseball is planning on doing the Field of Dreams game out in Dyerville, Iowa, at the site of the movie set itself. That's going to be fun as well. But I'll get us all started with our opening tip with the latest on these baseball testing issues right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip, talking about what might be the most critical two-week stretch of news in terms of the potential of team sports happening this year. Right now, as we know, we are dates on the calendar for the return of the three of the 14 sports. The MLB released their schedule last night on July. They were released on July 6th. We're recording on July 7th. Yankees, Nationals, Dodgers, Giants opening the slate July 23rd. Everybody else starting on the 24th. The NBA heading down to Orlando this week. The scrimmages are supposed to start on July 22nd. There's three of them per team. And then the seeding games, as they're calling it, the extension of the regular season starts on July 30th. NHL approved its CBA extension and the return to play protocol this week as well phase three which involves the training camps in the main cities begin july 13th they head up to the two canadian hub cities toronto and edmonton on july 26th and the play-in round the first five games start on august 1st so right now these games these weeks of prep are critical if you're going to see team sports again this year and the NFL, not far behind, because the NFL, right now, let's talk about whether you need to have preseason. The NFL wants to shrink it down to two games. The NFL PA wants none, citing concerns about the coronavirus. All of this 
It's going to come down to, I think, what happens in these two weeks because right now, as you've seen, coronavirus cases are on the increase in 40 states right now, which is absolutely insane. If you live outside the tri-state area, which it seems for the most part to have gotten a handle on things, your numbers are going up. And that's not great if you're baseball, which is planning to travel across the country. If you're the NBA, which is heading down to Florida, which is right now one of the worst places in the country for coronavirus and and the world. Or if you are the NHL, which still has to get everybody to your training camps for two weeks in those cities throughout the country and Canada before heading to Canada. The issue here is obviously the number of tests that come positive. Obviously, we've seen multiple NBA teams have to shut down their facilities after somebody tests positive. They're heading down to the bubble soon, and that will sort of set the tone there, see how this works. MLB, we've had issues this week with terms of getting the test turned around quickly enough. I mean, Cubs third base and Chris Bryant pointed out that guys got showed up the previous Sunday, got tested, didn't get tested again for another week. And he basically said, I don't feel safe anymore about playing this game. I wanted to play because I thought it could be done safely, and it can't. We've heard snafus where the A's had to wait five days to start workouts because their tests were not processed in a timely fashion. The Nationals canceled a practice after their results were not turned around quick enough. And GM Mike Rizzo ripped apart baseball, saying this is unacceptable if you want to play the season. Rob Manfred reportedly not happy about that, like being called out in public, but they're right. This system is very thin as it is. The only chance you have to make this work is to get the testing done, get it done repeatedly, and have the result turned around so they're actually meaningful. If you're testing every two days, you cannot wait four days to find out if somebody has deposit because at that point, you're putting players in there. Somebody could be tested positive, could be going into camp, not having symptoms, spreading the infection around, despite the best efforts to mitigate that, and then... You could have eight guys on one team test positive, and then what do you do? This needs to get cleaned up if they are at baseball, because otherwise, the trust on the players' end is already very thin. They did not agree with season. They agreed to play the mandated version you signed up for, and issues about, well, it was the 4th of July, and we can control the FedEx shipping situation. That cannot happen. You cannot have these tests coming, delayed returns, because... A, competitive integrity, as the A's are going to be five days behind everybody else. B, the safety of the players. And we saw last week when Freddie Freeman tested positive coronavirus reported symptoms. Nick Marquez has opted out. He said, I talked to Freddie. What he's going through, I don't want to risk that for me or my family, so I'm done. And it's a very real concern. You can't blame any player who says, you know what, I don't feel safe. This is not worth it for me to put my, my health or my family at risk to play a game that is not essential to American society. This is entertainment. If it can be done safely, you will have player buy-in. We've heard from Metcamp that the Mets feel very secure about their situation. Brody Van Wagen and staff are emphasizing the protocols. They are recommending more than the standard six-feet distance apart. They're recommending 10 feet to try and further reduce the risk of spread. And you've heard Sean Doolittle, a very smart guy, very educated on what's going on. He basically pointed out on Twitter, he said, hey, we were promised PPE. We are probably N95 masks, gloves, gowns to keep ourselves safe. That has not been delivered. And MLB looks tone deaf as usual, dropping the schedule on a primetime show on Monday night when you have tests coming back late, players not getting equipment, players saying they don't feel safe. You got Mike Trout and Buster Posey saying they're not even sure they'll play the season because even while they're at camp, they say, we're going to see how this goes. They have to get this fixed if they want any hope of getting a baseball season. Because the key t- window 
as WF fans Mike Francis has pointed out, is this run-up to the season. There is too much money on the line that, like, once the season gets going for any of these sports, whether it's MLB and the NBA, the NHL, or the NFL, once they start again, they are not going to want to stop. They're going to go as long as they can because they simply want to maximize the money here. This is not about the health. If this is about the health, we would not be playing games because the places around the world that are playing sports, like Germany, like South Korea, like Taiwan, they got the virus under control, and they're having maybe 100 cases a country. We are having 50,000 a day. They're having 100 a day. That's a big difference. That is why they are able to do sports successfully, even in the cases like New Zealand. They let fans back in the building. We are nowhere close to having fans in the building. We might not even be healthy enough to have team sports yet. A lot depends on these two weeks, and these leagues have to figure it out. It's not encouraging to hear every, about every other day that an NBA team has shut down a practice facility because somebody tested positive coronavirus. It's not encouraging that you're hearing that the NHL is having issues with guys testing positive. There are going to be positive tests. If you were going to play with this without a vaccine, that will happen. The key is you have to make sure this is something that the players can reasonably feel safe about doing. Nothing is guaranteed here, but if you can come up with a system that gives you the best chance and actually execute it, this is the only way this is going to happen. The NFL's had the benefit of time. Time's running short on them because their calendar is quickly coming out towards training camp. MLB, they're the big, biggest problem to blame because they spent so much time arguing at the money. It felt like they rushed through the protocols in two days and now are surprised as hell that they're having issues getting the test turned around. When the safety's a big deal and you're spending about two days finishing up safety after you spent six weeks arguing about money, this is not a shocker. This is going to happen. The thing is, it's not acceptable to keep happening. MLB's already said they're going to try and get a second lab to sort of speed or see up the test processing results. That should have been done from the beginning. You're asking one lab to turn around 14,000 tests a day or something like that. That's going to be really, really hard and do it in a timely fashion. Especially if you're getting guys tested every other day and you're doing this dual redundancy that they talk about how they want to pool samples and then check again, make sure they're not releasing false positives into the pool. That's all well and good. But you cannot have these turnarounds taking four days, five days, because after a certain point, the epidemiologist will tell you the results become less meaningful the later you get them. The whole idea of testing is always to catch the positives before they spread to everybody else. A lot of them are asymptomatic positives. Like Will Smith on the Braves is asymptomatic positive. He got caught, his test got confirmed in the eight in the intake testing. If he tested negative, caught it somewhere in between, went into the drills and summer camp. Four days later, test positive. Who knows who could have come interacted with? And then you're looking at the Braves at the shutdown camp. That cannot happen, and that's a problem. If this happens during the regular season, you're talking about canceling games. The MLB has to get this figured out quickly. Always they have to get it figured out quickly. And you will learn very soon if we're going to have a season. Because if these issues get to a point where it comes too much, you could still see any of these leagues say, you know what? We thought we could do it. This is too big a problem to handle. We're going to pack our shop. See you next year. And if you do it before the season starts, I think people will be accepting and say, okay, you know what? The virus is raging out of control in this country. Maybe they'll blame the president. Or they'll blame these governors who were aggressive reopening the states and didn't care enough about curbing the virus spread. But I think the line is once 
competition actually starts. I'm not talking exhibition games. I'm talking regular season games that count or playoff games. I feel like once that starts, it's going to take a lot for these sports to shut down again. And what a lot is remains to be seen is it tests wiping out slates of teams. I mean, to the point they're unable to compete. Do you take somebody in the Stanley Cup playoffs, have a bunch of guys test positive, but they can't feel the roster and you just advance the next team? That could be a disaster. Do you have a situation in LA where one team tests so many guys positive they have to be taken off the schedule for two weeks? Do they allow that to happen? We don't know, but I think the more days that come off the calendar and this is not stopped, the closer you are actually seeing it happen. Because the sense I get is that once it goes and once the guns tips and once we're there, if we're there on July 23rd, 7 o'clock watching Yankees Nationals, I think we're going to be in it for the long haul. I think these seasons are going to try and finish out and they might delay next season to give themselves time to get fans in the building and get a vaccine handed out. The NBA and NHL will definitely delay their next season. MLB, I could see them pushing back a little bit. NFL, in the interesting situation, you're trying to figure out what to do because they could push back to like October 15th, cut out two weeks and run a 14-week season, hope that you get the virus more under control by then because some of these states never really got out of the first wave. College, I'm going to leave another day. That's a whole other thing. I don't see college football happening in the fall. I don't see college basketball happening in November on time. But up next, we'll go to our conversation with Dan Federico, talking Yankees right after this. (laughs) All right, we are back here on the podcast, talking Yankee baseball with the man behind Bronx to Bushville. You've heard him on this podcast a couple times before. I think most recently talked about the winter meetings back in December. I feel like such a long time ago. Dan Federico is here. Dan, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on, man? That winter meeting, yeah, feels like a lifetime ago at this point. I think going back to March when they were back, these teams are actually back playing spring trainings in Florida just feels like a lifetime ago. I can't even imagine the winter meetings. Yeah, no, it's just it, it's been a crazy time. Let's just keep it at that. Yeah, speaking of spring training, I mean, we were talking about the Yankees. Now they're having summer camp up here in the Bronx. Like, what were some of the big storylines you remember from spring training right when the shutdown happened? I mean, my biggest thing about the Yankees in spring training was, you know, the continuation of these injury issues. I mean, going into the 2020 season, uh, Aaron Judge was one of the biggest question marks. Um, James Pack had offseason back surgery. John Carlos Stanton had a calf injury. Aaron Hicks with Tommy John surgery. So, uh, one of the themes that a lot of people have been talking about recently with the Yankees over the past couple of years has been these injuries. And uh, during spring training, that seemed like the theme was going to continue. Uh, but this time, you know, as we've seen, kind of bailed them out a little bit. Yeah, it did. All four of those guys are back now. And as far as I'm aware, I think they're all on track for opening day, assuming that they, that there's no coronavirus issues with them. Yeah, so when you look at it, uh, you, you've been hearing recently, uh, Aaron Judge said he's completely healthy which, again, we, uh, we we had a feeling back in the day, back in March, that uh, that, that wasn't going to be the case. So that's great news for Yankees fans. I know Giancarlo Stan, there's been questions about him uh, possibly playing the outfield. I think he's going to stick with DH as of now. So that cast seems to still be a little bit of an issue. But having him in the batter's box, you know, is always a difference maker, just being in the lineup. So that'll be huge for them. And Aaron Hicks and James Paxton both seem like they've overcome their surgery rehab and seems like they're ready to go as well when the season starts. Yeah, I think having Paxton back is is big, especially since we don't know when they'll see Tanaka, considering he's coming off concussion. We've seen with Clint Frazier, you know, how crazy those recovery times can be. So, like, how big a concern is it right now that Tanaka gets hurt on the first, like, basically intra-squad game of the, of the summer camp? You know, it's just, again, like we said before, the injury stuff. It just, the injury bug just always seems to be biting the Yankees. 
you know, as we know, this this was a freak accident. You never like to see that. Everybody was kind of shaken up from the deal, and thank God uh, Tanaka kind of walked away with just a mild concussion. But like you said, Clint Fisher dealt with a mild concussion. He was out for a long time. They're very tricky. Uh, there's no real remedy for it. It's just rest and hope he gets better. So, again, we don't know when he's going to come back. Um, you know, hopefully for the Yankees' sake, it doesn't take that long. And it's just, as they say, it's mild. And, and hopefully the, the recovery time re- reflects that. Yeah, and considering like, their rotation situation right now, I know they don't have Severino. He's out for the year. They had four. They basically looked like a full rotation when Tanaka was healthy. Now he's not. Would you guess that they go opener more often for that fifth game? I think opener right now, looking at their their pool of players, I think that seems like the most logical, especially if they don't want to throw you know a prospect or a young pitcher into the fire right away. And that's something the Yankees you know don't usually do, regardless of how long the season is or what's going on. So I do think an opener will be an option. But one thing that you know I, I haven't seen much talk about is that they could maybe you know try and squeeze out going with the four man rotation just because the amount of games there there aren't that many. I know. There also isn't as many break times, but I, I could see that happening. But if I had to put my money on something, I think it would be them going with an opener for the short term just before they could get their ducks in order in terms of getting starting pitchers in a row. Yeah, I would definitely think that makes some sense. I also am intrigued by like looking at the initial player pool they have there, and they have, I feel like, a ton of their prospects made the cut. And I know not all of them are planning to, are being planned to play up here. And like, what the guys that they brought up, like, what do you think when you saw this first list? I think 58 guys they had in the initial uh, summer camp squad. Yeah, so like you said, I mean, everything, all eyes should be on the pitchers. There are a number of prospects there that, that fans have been hearing about for a long time and that it seems like, you know, they, they could very well get their shot this year. Um, you know, as we've seen Monday, Clark Schmidt, you know, a lot of people have been praising him. I've done a lot of research on him, talked to a lot of people. There are a lot of high hopes within the organization about him being an impact pitcher as early as this year. And that was the case, you know, before all the shutdown happened. Maybe, you know, it would have taken him a while longer to, to get called up and he would have had to go through triple A. It looks like he may forego that um, this year by just, you know, making his way to the major leagues. But I think he's going to be somebody who makes a lot, maybe not, okay, I can't say a lot because there's 60 games, but he's going to make some starts this year. I'm, I'm pretty certain about that. You know, you still have Davey Garcia there who, you know, was considered one of the top pitching prospects for a long time. A lot of interesting names like Luis Medina, Luis Gill. So th- there's a lot of players. Albert Brayu, Domingo Acevedo, the list goes on and on. So they do have a lot of young arms that are going to make an impact, not only in the rotation, but, but in the bullpen as well. Yeah, for sure. And one thing to consider here is obviously right now, we don't know if Tanaka will make the opening day roster if depending on how his concussion symptoms go. Luis Sessa, you figure it would be a no-go right now because it's going to take him a while to get over the coronavirus. And that's at least two openings right there. You think they're going to fill them with like some of these young kids? Because Domingo Herman is also not a factor. He still has a suspension to serve. Yeah, the, the Domingo Herman factor is something that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about, but he would be right in there in the mix even if everybody was healthy, at least in the bullpen, he would definitely be a weapon that the Yankees utilize. So he's somebody that they'll miss. As you said, Tanaka, Severino, both will be missing. But, you know, they do have a lot of depth in the pitching rotation, um, both, you know, on the, that's going to be on the 30-man squad and, you know, in the player pool. So as, as much of a question mark as it is, you know, because Tanaka, you know how great of a pitcher he is. Um, the thing with Severino, we kind of knew he was going to be gone for the whole season. So I, I don't really consider him as much of a loss. But, I do think they'll be able to overcome what they have just by the players that are inside of their player pool. Yeah, the player pool is nice. And obviously, I will say, it was definitely interesting to see the intra-squad game on like on Yes last night because we're recording on, tu- on Tuesday the 7th. 
I will say it. This is not something I ever thought I would see on TV. It just tells you the state of sports this year that we're all kind of excited to watch the fake baseball game between two teams, two teams of players on the same squad. Yeah, I, it was definitely an interesting experience watching this game last night. You know, on one hand, like I said before, watching Clark Schmidt go up against the Yankees' A lineup, you'll be seeing, you know, if they make it to the World Series, that's a lineup that could be out there. Um, you know, minus maybe Tyler Wade and stuff, obviously, for the DJ LeMayu. But, you know, he's going up against the cream of the crop. And seeing him do that was a great experience. But, again, like you said, at the same time, you know, two DHs in a lineup, uh, you know, no defensive players in the field. It was a little, you know, weird to see. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I was just happy to see baseball back on my TV. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that again tonight with Garrett Cole making his debut. Yeah, that, and I guarantee you the ex- race, the exhibition games between the Mets and the Yankees in about a week and a half are going to be through the roof because people are going to be dying to see an actual competitive baseball game. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, not to sidetrack a little bit, but I do have, you know, some pretty high hopes for the Mets as well. So I know it's going to be an exhibition game, but, you know, New York versus New York, there's always a little bit of, you know, a little something more in those games. So it's going to be fun to see. And like we said before, I'll just echo a statement again. It's just great to see baseball. I'm happy to see it on my TV. Yeah, and we also got the Yankee schedule last night. And one thing I saw that was intriguing is obviously, like, the back half for them looks extremely easy, but obviously you have to get to the back half first. Like, do you think they could be in more danger if they don't get out hot considering the amount of good teams they play right out of the gate? You know, I don't want to say the Yankees specifically will be in more danger, but I do think it's going to be a race to the end for all teams. I don't think there's any team you can really count out of it. I mean, with such a short sample size, you know, I, I, I heard a stat yesterday. I don't quote me because I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was like a a five game losing streak equates to like an 18 game losing streak, and if it was across 162 game season, something like that. So you have to get out of the gate hot. You have to get out of the gate fast. Um, like you said, the second half of the season is definitely favorable on the Yankee side, but 60 games is really a coin toss. So it's going to be really interesting, not only for the Yankees but for all teams involved. Yeah, I think. There's one team I'm willing to throw out that I don't think, given the divisions they're playing, I do not see any way the Orioles will get in, barring like every other team having major issues with like pe- people staying healthy. And that, I think we get there. We're not actually finishing a season. So I think it would be strange to see Baltimore going far. Yeah, I would, I would put Baltimore on that list. Maybe, maybe we'll say 29, 28 teams or so. That, that has Yeah. It's like basically I, I put them out, the Marlins out, made a tiger. I think everybody else I could see, okay, maybe there's a path here. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely going to be interesting because you know, like like we keep saying, it's, it's sixty games. That's not a lot. Um, you know, especially baseball players, it takes a long time for them to warm up. We've seen time and time again over the years how long it takes for teams to go from spring training to the regular season to kind of really get into form. So it's going to be interesting. And think about it this way: the Nationals last year, look at their first half of the season; they were awful. Ended up winning the World Series. So it's really a crapshoot, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Yeah, because I remember also, this is not interesting for the individual players, too, because you have some guys, I remember Mark DeShera is historically a slow starter for the Yankees. Like, he would probably not be doing very good in the 60-game season. Curtis Granderson didn't used to get off the fast starts. Like, guys like that are going to have so much pressure, because that's be basically on the ball from day one. Yeah, exactly. And these guys are, you know, important players to your lineup. I mean, that that you could just echo that and replace those with any player on the Yankees team. Imagine, you know, Luke Voigt and Aaron Hicks getting off the slow starts. Those are big pieces. And I know the Yankees, are you know could overcome that with the talent they have but you know any slow start from anybody is going to negatively affect the team so I know I said this before but I'm just really interested to see not only for the Yankees perspective just in general across baseball how this goes yeah I'm intrigued by this one guy I think on the Yankees you have all the depth they have is very intriguing he's Miguel Andahar because obviously he can play he can play at third base he's getting some work in the core outfield I think they could work at first base if they wanted to so like if everybody's healthy where do you think he gets his most playing time 
Well, you have to remember that Aaron Boone did say recently that he is definitely going to utilize this roster's depth uh, to full advantage. So I do think uh, Miguel Andahar is going to get a lot of time. Like you said, left field, third base. I don't know if they really like him at first base. I know they tried him. I know he can be an emergency option there. But I think between left field and third base, um, that's where he's going to be playing. He started at third base yesterday in the first 10 game. Tonight he's going to be in the outfield. So I'm really interested to see how he does there in game time. I know, you know, all, all accounts have said he's worked really hard at trying to diversify his defense. So uh, I'm really interested. We know his back at play at the major league level. Remember a couple of years ago, he was probably the most consistent hitter in that lineup. So uh, he definitely deserves a spot in there. I know it's a loaded team, but the fact that they're going to use their dip, depth to their advantage uh, means that we're going to see a lot of Miguel Andahar, and I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I I think also, I think your dependable guys, the guys who you know are going to stay healthy, I think like your Brett Gardner's, they're, they're going to be very valuable this year because even with the short year, even with that, you take the virus out of it, a lot of these guys, you know, have trouble staying healthy based on the history the Yankees have. He's a guy who plays all the time. Yeah, and, and you know, you never know with, with age and this layoff. And, you know, think of back in February, January, these guys were gearing up, ready to go for 162 games. Then it shuts completely down. Now they're trying to wind back up. And I'm not saying that, you know, they were not doing anything this whole time. They were, you know, just sitting on their couches. But it's definitely different. Um, it's a different experience. And I'm really curious to see how it affects a player like Brett Gardner, who is older. I'm sure he has his certain, um, you know, workout plan and regimen that he goes through. So I'm really interested to see how it affects him. Yeah, I also think the Yankees are well positioned for the short year because their bullpen is so strong. And we know that a lot of stars are not going to be like crying to go deep into games out of the gate. The fact they have so many guys that can come out of the bullpen and pitch well, and they can utilize guys like Jonathan Loisega to fill middle innings, and they can use Chad Green as an opener. I feel like they had so many outs, it's not even funny, that they they could do so well. Yeah, we, we know the depth of their bullpen is something that the Yankees have really worked on uh, for, for a while now. They've always uh, loaded up their bullpen with depth, trying to ease the workload on their starters, um, especially now. We don't know how long these players are going to be stretched out uh, in terms of starting pitchers and how long it's going to take them to get to full strength. Um, that That's another thing, another side conversation where I'm really interested in seeing how these starters, you know, re- really are going to go, you know, getting to full strength and at what point in the season is that going to be and how often they're going to have to use these relievers. Uh, so many questions with these 60 games. It's really interesting. Um, that's why I keep thinking, I don't know really who has an advantage. I mean, you could say the Yankees, of course, do because of how loaded their roster is, and you could say that across baseball. Dodgers are another team. Astros, you know, depending on how you know they put their scandal behind them, we know their their team is still loaded. So um, I'm really interested to see how they they adjust and all these teams how how they can work in these 60 games and um, and just how they it ends up working out for them. Yeah, it's very intriguing. Plus, they do the schedule is a little harder because now you trade the NL Central where you're playing like a lot of te- teams that were not great. You get rid you get rid of all the AL Central games against the. Royals and the Tigers, the bad teams in the American League. Now you add in the Braves, the Nationals, the Phillies, addition to the Met games they already had. So it's going to make it a little harder. Yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting schedule. Um, I like how they're doing it. Of course, it makes the most sense just kind of being with a, within your region, so it's smart. But like you said, Phillies, Braves, Nationals, defending champs, I really do like the Mets a lot this year, especially with the DH involved. So there's going to be a lot of tough competition. That doesn't take away the Rays, who, you know, they could make, give the Yankees a run for their money. The Red Sox will always be an issue. Even Toronto, they didn't play well last year, but they have a very young, strong team. So th- this division is definitely going to be tough for the Yankees. Yeah, I want to talk about the division for a minute because I think personally, on my outsider's perspective, I think I fade the Red Sox a little bit because they don't have as much pitching. I think that could be an issue, especially with the shortened season. The bullpen for them is not great. 
I think I put a little more like Tampa. I think is obviously <clears> the big challenge. I, I would get put more stock in Toronto. I think Toronto's offense could really just get super hot and get, make them a big threat over the next couple of months. Yeah, Toronto. I mean, they're another team too where they're, they're definitely working on that pitching rotation, but they do have a lot of young offensive talent and uh, and. You know, like we said, talking about Brett Garner being older and, and going through these regimens, they have a young team where, you know, they're ready, they could be ready to go at all time. So I'm really curious to see how it affects them. But definitely as a whole, just, just the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be somebody who they're going to be tough to overcome. Blue Jays, strong Red Sox. There's always, you know, there's, it's always going to be back and forth, the Yankees and Red Sox. So um, definitely going to be strong, uh, at least this year. It'll be definitely a fun division. And before I let you go, I do want to ask you real quick, like assuming I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing on this podcast and keep on knocking on this wood to make sure we get to the baseball season, have things happen and not have everything just go off the rails. Assuming we get there. And I think once they start, they will play through. I feel convinced that like once the season starts, the owners and the players are motivated to finish it. Like assuming we get there, do you think, what do you think the Yankee year looks like? Like where do you think they end up? You know what? I, I, as I keep saying, I, I hate to repeat myself, you know, it's going to be tough for all teams, but in the end, you got to go with the talent. And if anything less than, I, I don't even want to say less than first place, because that's kind of putting a lot of pressure on them, but I, it's just hard to see them not winning this division. They have too much talent, too much depth, and it just seems like everything's going to line up in the right way for the Yankees. So I really think it's going to be favorable. Now, you know, whether people will see this as, a year where things don't count, you know, let's say they do happen to win the world series. People may put an asterisk next to it or what have you, but they have to play the games that are in front of them. They have to play the season that's in front of them. And I think, like I said, between the depth, not only in their lineup and their pitching rotation and their bullpen, but their roster in general and this player pool, that whole entire depth, I just think it's going to be too much for them for other teams to overcome and beat them. Yeah. I would put them in the playoffs for sure. Like once they get there, anything can happen as we found out over the last few years. So Dan, thanks a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to? Mike, thank you again. I always love coming on, so I appreciate you having me. And you could just follow me at Dan J. Federico on Twitter. And also just look out for my work at Bronx and Bushville. Uh, I'm starting to pick back up some things there, so look out for some more content coming soon. All right, Dan, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, there you have it. That's Dan Federico talking New York Yankees baseball. Up next, we'll take a deeper dive into the Yankees. Go back to our conversation on July 1st. The Yankee Fan Forum with Anthony Sarbellini, Ian Sachs, Troy Moriello, right after this. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. This is the Fan Forum. All right, back here in the Fan Forum this week, talking New York Yankees baseball. Joining me today on the podcast, first up, the Yankee half of the baseball beat, Anthony Storbellini. Anthony, welcome. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good. I got some more Yankee fans on the line with us. First, next up, somebody who usually talked college basketball with us, talked St. John's a couple of times, noted Cowboy fan, also Yankee fan, Troy Moriello. Troy, welcome. How are you? What's going on, Mike? How are you doing? Doing pretty good. And last but not least, I last talked to this man back during the last dance. We had a great conversation with Steven Astis talking about the legendary Nick Bull rivalry of the early 90s. Ian Sachs is here. Ian, how are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast once again. And like that we're switching gears and talking some baseball now. Yeah, I mean, I've been in, sort of doing so much basketball. I'm ready to talk some baseball. And again, like I've done the last couple of podcasts, I'm just – 
knocking on that wood right now that we get to opening day without many major issues. Yeah, absolutely. You have to look forward and, you know, not only hope that we get to opening day with no issues, but through the 60-game regular season and in addition to the postseason, is hope that nothing derails that train. Yeah, speaking of that 60-game season, Ian, uh, Ian just brought up, I'm going to th- throw around a little bit. I haven't got a couple of takes on this. Troy, I want to get your take. What do you feel about the 60-game season? Do you like it? you against it? Do you think it's too short? What do you think? Well, I mean, I'll start by saying, you know, just like everyone else, I was completely turned off by the, the negotiations between the owners and the players. Um, you know, both sides. I didn't pick a side. I was just kind of upset at both sides with that. But that being said, I think all is forgiven now. Um, you know, I'll, I'd, I'd rather take a 60-game season than, than no season. So at least we're getting something. Like you said, I'm, I'm knocking on wood every day, uh, hoping that we actually get this season. But I, I'll take a 60-game season. I would prefer, you know, 80 or, you know, 100-game season. But we'll, we'll take 60 and we'll deal with it. And uh, hopefully we can get it as close to the real thing as, as possible in, uh, in the world that we're living in today. And any thought, any further thoughts since the last time we talked about the 60 games? No, I mean, just piggybacking off what uh, what Ian and Troy said, I mean, we're all kind of in the same boat, just happy to have some type of baseball back. Again, still, you know, everything that we've echoed off from the baseball beat and everything, we just want to, you know, just disappoint with how everything was handled. But, you know, taking it day by day, and hopefully we see baseball at the end of July. Yep, we are recording on July 1st. It's important to put that out there. Because at this point uh, in the conversation, the Yankees are just reporting to their camp they all did the COVID testing today. As of this moment, they are all opting in. We have not heard yet if anybody's tested positive. We probably won't because there's HIPAA consideration you consider it up to the player individually to decide. But let's, again, knock on that wood, assume that we get the opening day, and they're in pretty good shape health-wise. So do you think the 60-game year, Ian, do you think it helps or hurts the Yankees? I think that it, it won't really factor in too much to the Yankees' success uh, definitely high expectations for this team coming into 2020 when we thought it would be the full 162 game season. But I think that the Yankees are poised to success no, for success, no matter if it's a 60 game season or if it was the full 162. The last four out of five years, the Yankees have at least had a, a share of the division lead through the first 60 games of the season. So this team gets out to a hot start and that's what's going to need to be done. And I think that this team is just too talented and too deep to not be successful this season. Yeah. I want to touch on that as well. That, that, uh, that depth that, that you mentioned, I mean, I think if, if anything, it helps them, you know, just cause they have that depth, especially in their bullpen. You know, you look at, at this season, obviously with only what three weeks of, of spring training or summer camp, whatever you want to call it, Starters aren't going to be going very deep into games, at least early on. You know, you're going to see a lot of bullpen games, a lot of starters, you know, being limited to maybe, you know, 60, 70 pitches. Bullpens are really going to come in. And, and as we all know, the Yankees still have one of the better bullpens in baseball. So if anything, I think that helps them. But like Ian said, I mean, this is a team that, that just on talent alone and depth alone should be in the playoffs, regardless of if you're playing 160 games or 60 games or 200 games, however many games you play the Yankees should be a playoff team this year. So I don't think it really matters, but if anything, it helps them for sure. 
Yeah, I'm looking at it just from kind of the beginning of the season. Uh, I think they benefited with the season starting, you know, July because now we're going to have everybody healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the beginning, Aaron Judge, I think, I believe it was Stan, just two big, big name guys in the in the in the in the roster we're going to be out for opening day so you get more time to get back to get healthy get uh, back hopefully so you know brian cashman was just quoted as saying you know everybody's good to go so it helps him in the long run but then you know just echoing what echoing what you guys said was they were going to be a playoff team regardless it would be a huge disappointment in you know if they didn't make the playoffs so yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I'm going to throw out this scenario here, which I don't think is too far-fetched considering it's a short sample size and we have some randomness thrown in here. Like, obviously, we think we don't have in our arsenal yet is the schedule which MLB is waiting to release because they want to sort of see where what the virus looks like at certain places that have to relocate teams or whatnot. But we have a rough idea they could start the Nationals. Like, if they get a rough start out of the gate and they get out, like, say, like, 7-13, and which is not impossible. Remember back in, like, 2018 that the Yankees had such a injury-riddled start to the year. They got mm-hmm. they lost series to the Orioles. Like, if you get off to a bad start, the short season really hurts because, like, you don't have much time to make up that ground. Whereas if you go 7-13 and in April, like, ah, oh, okay, you got 140 games to deal with this. Now you only have 40 games to try and catch up. Yeah, uh, a 7-13 and start this season is, like, you know, what, what, a 20 and 30 start in a, in a real year. You know, it's a third of the season, like you mentioned. So that, that's a good point. And, and that could happen to anyone. You just, you don't really know. You know, you don't know how, how players are going to hold up health-wise or anything like that. So that that scenario is, is certainly possible. I, I don't see it happening, but it's certainly possible. And to piggyback off of that, I think that that's going to make this 60-game season even more exciting. Think about the NFL when you have just a 16-game season everyone's locked in every single Sunday no matter if their team is going to be 14 and 2 or 2 and 14 you're paying attention to every game and during 162 baseball game baseball season you think about okay if I miss a couple games here and there not really a huge deal but I think that's going to help to anticipate the interest level in each of these games. Yeah, I, I would agree with that sense of urgency because sort of like on the NFL, like if a team starts 0-2, you're like, oh no, this could be really bad. Whereas that's sort of like the equivalent of the 7-13. You're like, you can still recover, but it's much harder, which I think is very interesting. And I do think you guys are right. Like they are well positioned because of the bullpen because this is a season where I think you have a good bullpen. You can get very far because you can stack relievers. You don't have to worry about burning them out for six months because you don't have to get them through two, maybe three if you're playing in the playoffs. I think that's mm-hmm. a big advantage for them. Yeah, I mean, essentially, kind of, this is pretty much uh, playoff baseball the entire season because, you know, you guys touched on it earlier that if they fall to a slow start, they could be, you know, kind of screwed in the long run. That's 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 kind of what it is. It's kind of you need uh, you need to go out and win and compete in every single game because you never know what's going to happen, especially with a sixty-game season. You can't rely on oh, there's 120 games left after you know we struggled in. And in April and May, let's pick it up in June. It's no, you have to start out of the gate right now. Yeah, speaking of the starting pitching, one thing I've intrigued about here is I did see a theory on Twitter from Sean Marash on Twitter, friend of the podcast, and he has this idea out there. It's like, hey, I know baseball wants Cole uh, Scherzer to start the season down in Washington. Like, if I'm the Yankees, should I do that? Should I just put Garrett Cole in the second game and give myself a better chance to win that game instead of, instead of potentially burning a bullet there? You think he's, I think he's the kindest of as you got to think about in these shorter seasons. 
Yeah, it's just it's very tricky to see how the rotation is going to go. I think, you know, everything is going to be on a short leash in terms of the starting rotation. So it's just going to be go to the bullpen quick and often, which is nothing short of what Aaron Boone loves to do for the Yankees staff. But I don't see why you wouldn't throw Garrett Cole out in that first game. Just, you know, start the season off on a good note. You know, this this is the Yankees' big prize possession in the offseason. So why not just throw him out there and, and mm-hmm. just, just build off of that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that countering that, I think that that actually would be a stupid idea and that with it being 60 games, every game is so much more important that if you start sacrificing the first game right out of the gate, is that going to be a mindset for the rest of the season that, oh, we're going up against this team base today. You know, we'll just give up this game and, and look ahead to tomorrow. I think that you have to think, no, let's go right out of the gate and let's win it. Say if you say that Cole and Scherzer cancel each other out, look at the lineup then. I'll take the Yankees lineup against anyone in the majors, especially against that Nationals lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you're, you're paying Garrett Cole to be a guy that, you know, you, you think can match up against the Max Scherzer's of the world. So, I, I, I like, I would take Garrett Cole against any starter in baseball right now, you know. So, you're, you're giving him money to win those type of games for you. Uh, I wouldn't, like, you know, structure the rotation like that, you know, try to get him against maybe a two or a three starter. You know, I, I'd put him up against the other team's aces and, and let let him try to get some wins there. But, you know, like you guys mentioned, it, it's going to come down to the bullpen, I think, so much. We're going to see a lot of bullpen days, I think. We're going to see a lot of spot starts for guys, too. And I, I still think that the Yankees have one of the better bullpens in baseball. So, to be honest, that, that fares well for me as a Yankee fan, knowing that they have such a strong bullpen that can come in and eat up innings and even, you know, make some starts on some games. Yes, that's true. I also think the rotation, I think it's in much better shape than it would have been at the start of the year because obviously you get James Paxton back in it now too. He was going to miss the first couple of months with that injury, and now he's healthy. You put him mm-hmm. behind Cole, you have Tanaka there, and Montgomery and Paxton. That should be enough to get you through a 60-game season with that bullpen. And do you think that's the ideal rotation is those five? I think somebody else, maybe one of the kids that gets in the mix here. Uh, I, I think it's so to five. I mean, I mean, like you mentioned too, even with Montgomery, you know, he gets another what two months or no three months of rehab really um, from that from that um, Tommy John surgery. So I think it's going to be those five. I mean, I'm not incredibly confident in uh, in Jay Hap, but you know, I, I, I I'm pretty confident it'll be those five with you know Paxton as a two, Tanaka as a three, uh, Hap as a five starter, and then. You know, Loizaga and Sessa will probably make a couple of, of spot starts, uh, you know, every every few games, I guess. I think they'll more go kind of a four-man rotation than just kind of maybe even do a starter for the fifth, even kind of like a, like a starter guy, bullpen session for the fifth day, or just, you know, keep off a four-game four game rotation. Just, you know, get those guys those innings, get those guys those games and everything, because it's a, it's a pretty stacked one-two punch with, with Cole and then and then Paxton and everything, so it should be interesting how they how Boone handles it. Uh, yeah, no, to, just to to touch a little more on Montgomery, I, I think that you know unless there's a big rust factor for him, which is certainly possible, missing the majority of the last two seasons, but you know you saw so much promise from him in that 2017 2017 season that I, I think that he maybe he'll start out as one of those rotation guys just in the fifth start 
kind of rotating in that spot. But I think that he could certainly establish himself as as a clear one of those five starters. Yeah, I think the idea I was thinking about while you were talking about the, all the depth they have, I think it's interesting. is like maybe you do like sort of three, your big three, you have like Paxton, Cold, and Tanaka basically pitch like as regular stars. Maybe you piggyback like half in Montgomery with guys like Loisaga and Sessa and you can sort of like stack them to sort of worry and just sort of stack your bullpen those days. I mean, it, it makes the most sense out of everything. You know, you've got a short season. So this is, you know, one of the very rare times to where baseball is not a marathon, to where baseball is actually a sprint. So I think the more, you know, they can kind of rely on the big three that we've been touching on, and especially too, because Tanaka's, just in my eyes, always been a ticking time bomb with his elbow. So this is just kind of, you know, hopefully get him through the entire season and into a deep playoff run too. Yeah, let's shift gears from it. Let's go to the lineup because I do think about the return of all the injured guys. Remember back in, again, poor Clint Frazier gets screwed because he, he was going to have a clear path to playing time in the spring. Now it's gone again because he's going to be behind everybody being healthy. And the, the the lineup, I think, is interesting. I think you have a couple of ways to go with some of these spots. So, Ian, give me your ideal, like, every everyday lineup. Uh, I think clearly you have to start off with LeMayhew in the leadoff spot. And then after that, I mean, it's it's a murderer's row. You can really decide to put anyone in any order and and could go, you know, could be happy with it. But the way that I look at it, I would put Judge second, Stanton third, Sanchez fourth, Hicks fifth, Glaber sixth, Urshela in the seventh spot, and then closing it out with Voight and Gardner. Yeah, so who's so Stanton's your DH in that situation? Yeah, I have Stanton uh, in the DH spot, and then Judge, Hicks, and Gardner across the outfield. Boyd at first, Urshela at third, and then Glaber at short with LeMahieu at second. Yeah, I think it seems like the most ideal like rotate like lineup uh, in terms of the really options. One guy who you didn't mention there, I think, is Miguel Andujar. So. Anthony, like I know they talk, listed him as an infielder, outfielder. They're still not sure what they're going to do with him. I know they talk about, talked about how well he was doing the corner outfield spots. Like, how many games do you think they're going to try and get Andahar in there? Uh, I don't know. You know, I know we were talking about it a little bit on the baseball beat when we thought we were going to have a full, full season, full spring training, everything, seeing them battling out. But I don't know how how the Yankees go about it now. I, I know there were some talks about maybe throwing him at first. Or you can, you know, supplement him as a DH. But I think, you know, coming off of his rookie season, yes, he did get injured and everything, but he did have his defensive hiccups. But he was such a great offensive bat that you have to try to get him to the bat to see what he could do still. Because he's going to go out and produce. Yeah, true. I think, honestly, his path would probably be the easiest at third base because Gio Rochella has had one very good year in the big leagues. And you think, mm-hmm. you know what, like maybe the law of just catches up and he regresses a little bit. That, I feel like that might be Andahar's quickest path to playing time. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that as well. I mean, listen, I, I, what Urshela did last year was amazing. You know, 21 homers last year, hit 314. But like you mentioned, it was it was one season for him. I'm not totally sold on him just yet. I mean, I know Andahar's really only had one season as well, but it's the only real full season that we've seen him play in the big league. I, I, I'm a huge Andahar fan. I, I think you got to get him in the lineup as much as possible wherever. Um, but, yeah, the, the clearest path for him would probably be third base. But – you know, I guess you would kind of ride Urshela until until he proves otherwise that he's not, you know, an everyday player. But 
I'm 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 very high on Miguel Andujar. I, I thought he was one of their best players a couple of years ago, and you know, Urshela, we'll, we'll see what they get out of him, but but I'm a big Andujar guy for sure. Yeah, I also think personally, I feel like that even though everybody's healthy again, I feel like Brett Gardner is going to be very important for that Yankee team because last year he had a career high home, 20, I think 25, 26 home runs. He had he played a ton in center field, even though he's getting up there in age. I do think like his durability be a big factor, and you have guys out there who are very brittle in in Hicks, Judge, and Stanton. Yeah, that's going to be huge this season too, being able to stay on the field, right? I mean, the the virus aside, just being able to stay healthy. You know, a guy like Brett Gardner, you know what you're going to get out of him. You know he's going to stay healthy. Yeah, but like for for a team like the Yankees that has had so many injury issues over the past few years, you know, a, a steady hand even at the bottom of the lineup in the outfield is, is huge going into like we like we've been saying a sprint season like this. Yeah, I, I would be terrified of the soft tissue injuries. That'd be the thing I'd be more worried about because like all these guys who have not had like a ton of time, we don't know how they've been keeping in shape. You don't know who's been hitting the cage. You know who's been running, who's been doing what. So like. It's going to be tough because if, if everybody knows the oblique injury, like in normal season, that costs you two months. If you get an oblique in like game five, you could be out for the rest of the regular season. <laughs> yeah, total crapshoot. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's go to some X factors. Anthony, give me your X factor right now for the Yankees this year. I'm going to go DJ LeMahieu just because he had such a spectacular season. Let's, you know, let's see if he could keep it up or – or if he's or if he's going to regress, how much is he going to regress? I think you know he kind of would control outside of you know Judge, Glaber, uh, and you know the big and Gary Sanchez, a couple of the big name guys. You know Lemayhu kind of kind of carried the torch for that team last year once those key guys went down. So if he can keep you know stay healthy like he has been, you know keep that keep the building momentum like he did last season, I think he's going to be again you know kind of that. That, that X factor is going to propel them to the next level. Uh, well, I would say that my biggest overall X factor would be health and keeping guys on the field, both one, because of the virus, and two, with the way that the Yankees set an MLB record last year with 30 different players spending time on, on the injured list. But if I had to pick one, I think I'd have to go Urshela. Um, we we touched on him a couple minutes ago, uh, given the the fact that he was such a big breakout star last year. Unexpected his production, but he along with the guys like Mike Talkman, um, carrying that team when so many different players and the big stars went down. That I think that if he can have a repeat performance similar to the way that that we're talking about Lemayhew. If those guys can perform at the same level now with the addition of Judge in the, staying healthy and Stanton staying healthy and Hicks staying healthy and, of course, Sanchez right in the mix, having those secondary options to keep producing, that's going to be the biggest factor for the Yankees. Yeah, well, you, you brought up the, uh, the soft tissue injuries and you know the importance of staying on the field and being durable in this short season. So that immediately makes Giancarlo Stanton come to mind for me. Um, we all know, you know, maybe not in the best graces of Yankees fans right now after last season, but the guy hit 38 home runs two years ago. You know, he, he wasn't going to come over here and hit 59 homers like he did his last season with the Marlins. He came over two years ago, hit 38 homers. He drove in 100 runs. He's, a, he's an MVP-type player for them. 
And if he can stay on the field and, and be healthy and be a, you know, bring it out to 162 games, be a 30-something home run hitter for them, it, it changes their whole lineup. It just gives them so much more depth having that MVP piece in the middle of your lineup. And for him, it's kind of, I don't want to say a make or break year because they're, they're stuck with him regardless with that contract. But, for you know, for in the eyes of the fans, you know, if Giancarlo Stanton, you know, in, in the middle of, of August, uh, you know, pulls up lame with another hamstring in, injury and he misses 15 games and he misses 25% of the of the season now in, in going on the 15-day injured list, uh, he's going to get killed by fans. And, 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 you know, it might be tough for fans to ever look past that or for him to ever get back in the good grace of the fans. So for him, it's a, it's a huge year. And if he's able to be on the field, I think he just, he makes his lineup so much better, obviously. Yeah, I think if I was to pick one, I'm going to raise you. I'm the one non-Yankee fan in this group, so this is really from an outsider perspective. For me, I think it's Gary Sanchez is because, A, what he can do offensively is incredible. His ability to throw out runners is very underrated. I know he has his, his issues blocking balls behind the plate, but, like, I think if you ha- lose a guy like a judge, at least you have, like, you know, he would stand in the outfield. If you lose Gary Sanchez, you're putting Kyle Higashioka in the lineup every day, I don't know how well that's going to work for that for that team, especially when you have a bunch of pitchers who are basically new to this rotation, whether it's Cole or Montgomery missing the year, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, like, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the drop down from Sanchez is definitely the biggest out of, out of all the guys that we mentioned. Ian, any feeling on Gary Sanchez this year? I, I think that you brought up a, an excellent point there, Mike, that, that one that, that I hadn't really thought about, I, I think of Sanchez just in the mix as one of the other guys who's, you know, you're expecting production from, and and he's so far and he's delivered. But you're absolutely right. We keep talking about health and durability for this team, but if Sanchez goes down, the Yankees are in desperate need then of some support in the catching field, both defensively and offensively. And it really shrinks that the meat of that lineup. Yeah, it does hurt a lot, and I do think that there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team. I do think there's a lot of pressure on Aaron Boone and Anthony. Like He's gotten some heat the last couple of years for some decision-making in the playoffs with his bullpen. Now he's got a short season to deal with. Like, How much more pressure is on Boone this year, knowing that his margin of error is much smaller to make the playoffs, and he's got the, probably the best roster in baseball beside the Dodgers? Oh, Boone, you know, he was going to be under huge scrutiny this season, regardless whether if it was a full season or the eventual 60-game season that we ended that we're ending up with. Um, I mean, the Yankees are just—they've been—they've been right there, you know, ever since ever since he he was uh, brought on as manager. So they just haven't been able to get over that cusp. But you know, it might be touched on it to have one of the best rosters, if not the best, in all of Major League Baseball. So it's going to be it's going to be you know quite the uh, even it, it's going to be quite. Uh, upsetting, you know, ride for the season, especially if they're not going to make, you know, a deep playoff run and especially make the World Series. But I, I think this is kind of, you know, this is this is Boone's kind of like hoorah season in a way. You know, I think it's kind of it's going to be, you know, what you see is what you get. He's been under so much scrutiny, so this is kind of his his uh, big time make or break season moving forward. I uh, I look at it the complete opposite way. I think that. There's no pressure on Boone whatsoever. You look at his first two seasons, winning 100 games both years, getting to the postseason both years. Both of you have mentioned it that 
the Yankees have been right on the cusp of one getting the World Series and two if they did get there, you know, potentially winning the World Series. But this year it's going to be a crapshoot no matter what. It's a season that's going to be unlike any that we've ever seen. And I think that you have to assess Boone on the two full years that he has managed and what he's done with that lineup, managing through all those injuries last year, the Yankees having uh, having players miss over 3,000 games due to injury, and Boone turns that into 103 wins in the regular season. This year, yeah, there's pressure on him to get at least back to the playoffs, but I think even if the Yankees just get to the playoffs, I think Boone's job is safe no matter what. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I guess I'll come down kind of in, in the middle on this. I mean, you know, Aaron Boone, we know. He, he's gotten to the playoffs his first few seasons, sure. And we don't know what's going to happen, like we've been saying. This year is a, is a total, total crapshoot. You know, the Yankees could, could go out and have, have 10 guys get injured in the first two weeks again. Guys could get the virus for all we know. Hopefully not, but that could happen. And that could totally throw this season through a loop. But at the end of the day, you know, this is probably going to be a playoff team and and the playoffs are going to be the same. You know, we're going to be doing a normal playoff. There is no shortened postseason. It's the same postseason. If they go out and they lose to the Astros again in the ALCS, or if they go, even go out and make the World Series and they lose to the Dodgers again, that pressure is going to really start to build on Aaron Boone, I think. You know, three straight seasons now, uh, not, you know, winning a World Series in his first three years as a Yankees manager. You know, the last two have gotten have won a World Series. Uh, Torrey won one in his first year. Girardi won one in his second year. That would be three straight years for Boone now without a World Series for a franchise where, let's face it, it's World Series or bust pretty much every single season, especially when you have the roster that they have. So if they get to that point again, which I think we all will, will think that they will in the, uh, in the playoffs, I mean, if they don't win it, I think that pressure is going to keep building on them. Yeah, I think there's a lot we don't know about the Boone situation yet because I think a lot depends on how this season plays out for them. Like, I think... There's no way he's not here next year if he, unless he doesn't want to be here and decides to resign. That's the only way I don't think he's here. But what pressure he's under depends on how this goes. Like, if they, you know, like, losing the playoffs, like, on on him making bonehead mistakes in the playoffs, that's a, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's worse for him if, they, if they're healthy and don't make the playoffs and they don't play well. Like, if they are relatively healthy and they miss the playoffs and Toronto gets hot and wins the American League East over 60 games, I think that's a bigger issue for Boone than them getting there and losing the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I mean, anything had happened this season too, so that that could happen, you know. And then, but I, I wonder how much like stock we're going to put in that as fans if you know Toronto beats out the Yankees by you know two or three games. Let's say the Yankees win, you know, thirty three games or something. Toronto wins thirty four, and maybe even like Tampa Bay wins a couple. You know, I I really wonder how much stock we're going to put into this season when it's all said and done. You know, what What if the Dodgers don't win the NLS, NL West, for an example? So, we, I guess we kind of just have to wait and see, really. Yeah, I think the one thing I will, I'm willing to, I'm going to put this on the air right now. And I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I think the one thing we can guarantee if there's health relatively throughout that division the Baltimore Orioles are not going to the playoffs. If they do, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be one of these for me on here. <laughs> because that team yeah, is yeah. absolute garbage. And they have to play the National League East, too, which means you get four very good teams in the Marlins. So I don't see how the path <laughs> is there for Baltimore. 
Yeah, if, if the Orioles win that division, I think a lot of people will be will be questioning uh, the validity of this season for sure. Yeah, seriously, like the Orioles over under number. I'm looking at that recently. It was like I think it's like tw- it's twenty and a half, and I still might take the under. <laughs> Just because, like, they, there's no talent on the team. They're still four, like, four years away from having a relevant squad. Yeah, if they, if they get to, to 20, I would take the end of there, Mike. <laughs> it's, a, it's a disaster if the Orioles win that. And there's definitely an asterisk on the year if the Orioles make the playoffs. But let's go, like, let's say the Yankees, let's say this all goes to plan, everybody's healthy, they win the title. How many people are they going to be coming here after you're going, oh, asterisk, only 60 games? Well, uh, I'll start with this one, Mike. You you know me. You know I'm a Cowboys fan. You know I'm a St. John's basketball fan. I'm also a Knicks fan. Uh, those three franchises combined, I've seen zero titles, and I haven't seen my teams even play in a championship ever. So I'll take whatever championship I can get. The Yankees are the only team that I've ever seen win. And if they win this year, I won't I won't look at it as an asterisk, whatever. I like it, It's a title for me because I'll take whatever titles I can get. I think the main thing is it doesn't even matter who – it doesn't matter who wins the World Series this year. Someone's going to try to put an asterisk on it. But, you know, it's still – I don't count it as an asterisk. I, you know, you still went out, you win. You won a World Series. You still had to go out and compete in the playoffs. Yes, it's a drastically shortened season and everything. But at the end of the day, you still have to go out there. You're still competing against the best best uh, baseball players in the world. So, for anybody that kind of diminished that championship would be, you know, it's kind of a, a lost cause for that. I think that there absolutely should not be an asterisk on the championship, be it the Yankees or any of the other 29 major league teams. They did what was in front of them. And all the teams were facing the same challenges, the same 60-game season, the same sprint to the playoffs. And they just happened, you know, whichever team wins it, let's say it's the Yankees, did it better than anyone else for this 2020 season. And you would think back to 1981 when they had uh, this uh, strike shortened season and there were winners of the first half and the second half and the team with the, with the best record overall didn't even go to the playoffs. And yet there's no asterisk for the 1981 championship the same way that there's no asterisk for the Nationals last year. So I think that, you know, when we look back at this 2020 season, it'll be a fun footnote, but certainly no asterisk. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, if 1981 does not have an asterisk, and that was something where they basically changed the rules in the middle of the season because of the strike, this one, you basically, everybody knows what they're signing up for. They know what the rules are. The schedule, it's not going to be perfect. You're not, division's going to be easier than the others. Like, I would not be shocked if wild cards come out of the central for both leagues because they're completely terrible divisions, the Central, with the three teams in the American League Central and the bottom of the NL Central are bad. But I think everybody knows what they signed up for. Everybody's taking the same risk. I don't. I think if soon we get to the end of the this thing and we crown a champion, they are legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100% there. All right. Last quick – let's go rapid fire quick on this last thing here. G- give me a gut right now. On July 1st, Yankees this year do what, Anthony? Make the World Series, but do not win. Troy, uh, I'll agree with that. I'll say they win, you know, 36, 37 games, make the World Series, and lose to the Dodgers. Ian, oh my gosh, I uh, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. Yeah, 
the Yankees win the pennant and lose in the World Series, and I was going to say to the Dodgers also. <laughs> yeah, I have not. I have not done my predictions yet on record, but part of me just thinks they're not going to get all the way there. I think they make the postseason, but I think they're going to fall short. That's just my hunch. Who do you think they lose to? Houston again? I could think honestly this year, like Houston. Houston, I'm not as worried about. I think a team like Tampa could be a big problem for them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could see that too as well. Yeah, because Tampa has that has that pitching. You have Blake Snell in a short series of glass now. That could be deadly. Yeah, and it all comes down to pitching. Yeah, so we'll we'll leave that there. Hopefully we're we're talking in a couple of months and the Yankees are in the playoffs and we're having a conversation about what they need to do to beat Tampa. And I want to thank you guys for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. Let's let's go around the horn again. Get ready get out everybody's social media handle some stuff you're up to. I'll go to Anthony first. Yeah, uh, you can check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos, S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I Photos. All right, cool. Troy, how about you? Yeah, I'm at Troy Moriello on Twitter. The last name is M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. You can check out my St. John's basketball podcast as well. Um, do that. You know, Every few weeks we do one of those. Yeah, see, the Seeing Red podcast should be fun with UConn coming back in the Big East this year whenever they actually play college basketball. Yeah, I tweeted it. Their fans are already pissing me off. So. <laughs> they're, they're already <laughs> All right, and Ian, how about you? Yeah, um, on Instagram and Twitter, you can follow me at Ian R. Sachs. That's I-A-N-R-S-A-C-K-S. All right, that's awesome. Thanks, guys, for all the time. Before I, before I let you guys go, Quick poll. Best baseball movie of all time is? Field of Dreams. You're the man. Field of Dreams. Doing that on the podcast next, right after this. We are back here wrapping up the podcast week, going into the world of baseball movies for the first time on the podcast, going to my all-time favorite, Field of Dreams. We are coming right after the 4th of July on the podcast. Joining me today, our pop culture correspondent, the great Sam DeRosa. Sam, welcome back. How are you? Well, thanks for having me back again. Hey, people ask for you. That's why you keep coming back. I'd like the names of these people to send them personal thank you cards. I will, I will get those to you off the air. Wow, thank you. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to shout people out on the air too much who are not on the show. So I understand. I understand. Uh, I actually have thank you, like a nice thank you note composition, like those little cards. So I need. I need things to do during this quarantine. Indeed, we'll we'll discuss that off the air. But I just talked to some of our friends in the Yankee fan forum. I talked to Anthony Sarbellini, uh, Troy Morial, Ian Sachs. I talked about the Yankees getting into this season. So. You know, you're a Yankee person real quick. Quick thoughts on this season coming up. Just my regular quick thoughts. Sure. Um, I'm excited for baseball, but then I'm also not excited for baseball because it's short. So it's a nice torn down the middle, excited, kind of bummed out at the same time. Um, I hope everything goes smoothly and all these regulations work and they can play the full 60 games. I'm just more of the hesitant and worried part of the season because uh, I know it hasn't started yet and it's not going to start till the end of the of July. 
So uh, I'm excited, but also super nervous. But that's basically all my thoughts. That's all I've let myself think about. I'm right there with you. Basically, just like counting the days off the calendar, hoping something doesn't go horribly wrong so we actually get to baseball and actually get to see it played out this year because it could be very, very exciting considering that anything could really happen in his game season, aside from maybe the Orioles. I don't think it's going to happen regardless of how many games you give them. Oh, I feel bad. I, you know, it's, uh, I just, I know that every series that, like, you know, every team that they play is going to count extra. Yep. So it's just like, I think that's also kind of intense. At least that will give it a more, like, hyped up feeling for every game they win. And also every game they lose, you'll be, like, hyper aware about how they're doing. Yeah, I was talking with the guys a couple of minutes ago. I basically said, hey, it's like kind of like in football. If your team goes 0-2, you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? If your team starts out, like, 7-13 and or 40-60 and game season, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, no. What we got to do to get back in this? <laughs> that and, like, you can't have a bad game. Like, you can't come out and pitch bad or, like, go, like, over 4 Like, you have to be all in it. You, you have to be on your game, which for baseball isn't always, is never, hasn't ever been the case until it gets down to the wire towards playoff season, you know? Yeah, I think last year, there's something like, pretty much like almost every team had a seven-game losing streak at some point. And basically, mm-hmm. in the 60-game year, a seven-game losing streak is almost like losing like 14 in a row, which is a disaster. Oh, my God. It's, it's going to be interesting how the managers are going to have to, like, really look into the future and see how, you know, the rest of the season will be looking and who they're going to play because we still don't have a set schedule as of today, July 1st. Yeah, as of today, we do not have the schedule yet. Should be fun, 60 games, 66 days. I do think that your favorite Yankee, Brett Garner, will get plenty of playing time here in the fragility of the rest of the Yankee outfielders. Yeah, they're, you know, Aaron Judge is still up in the air. Uh, if I was, if, honestly, to be honest, if I was Aaron Judge's, like, PT guy or whatever, I'd be like, you know what, sit it out. Wait till next year. Hopefully they'll have a whole season. I mean, hopefully all the guys are itching to get back into the game. But, like, for him, with his fractured ribs, like, you can refracture that. Like, your bones are still pretty soft. So, who knows about Stanton, but that's a different story. <laughs> that is a different story. We'll save, we'll save that for future discussion. But, right now, we're going into the world of Field of Dreams. I'm not going to play the spoiler one because this movie is over 30 years old. If you have not seen this movie, I don't know what is wrong with you. You need to go watch it. But, what's like, your quick opinion? Like, when's the first time you saw this movie? I think I saw this movie when I was like 10 or 11. Um, my dad was like, Oh, like I'm going to turn on Field of Dreams. I'm like, I've never seen that. And like, I like, you know, I've always liked baseball. I didn't start really following baseball till around then as well. Um, but it was a really good movie. It's like, it felt more of like a movie movie than just a baseball movie. Um, and I rewatched it today to get it all fresh in my head. And it's still entertaining. It's not something I want to fast forward through. So. It's an enjoyable uh, film. Yeah, I would say it's definitely enjoyable. It's the second big baseball role for Kevin Costner, who basically got himself typecast as a sports movie guy for a while with Bull Durham, with <laughs> yep. this, for love of the game, a little less known baseball movie. But Kevin Costner's in there. One thing I noticed right away when I'm watching this is, like, compared to the last movie we did, which was Space Jam, where they spent about 10 minutes on the opening credits, we got yep. into the story <laughs> incredibly fast here. I mean, we get the quick montage of... Ray can sell his life up to the point of the movie. And then like five minutes in you get, if you, if you build it, he will come. Yeah. They really, they're like, we're not joking. We're not pulling anybody around. This is also what 1989 it came out in. Yep. So like no one's no, you know, I feel like film was also a little different back in the day. Yeah. I'm barely older than this movie. Then a couple months older than the actual movie itself. 
Oh, really? Yep. Just a couple months old after it, I was born, this came out. Okay. Well, it's like pre-dresses or whatever that word is. Yeah. But it's like, it's before me, but yeah. not too, too long. Yeah. Not, not too long, but I do, I like, we got right into this. And one thing I picked up and when I watched in the credits of this movie was interesting. The voice itself, the voice is credited as himself. It is not given a, it never officially been revealed who this person is. Do you have any suspicion of who actually did the voice? Well, honestly, I was, like, thinking about that today, and I was, like, interesting. And I didn't notice uh, that until actually today, like, watching the credits. You know, just, like, minding my own business, watching the credits roll through. And um, I was, like, you know what? Let me Google that. So, I know they said that, you know, they never gave credit to anyone. But funny enough, bringing it back to all of our Westworld uh, conversations, they, like, one of the people is Ed Harris. Yeah, Ed Harris, the wife thought, of Eddie, Amy Madigan, who is plays Annie in the movie. Yeah, and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't know that either. So I was like, felt like I learned, I like rewatched this movie again, you know, for the first time. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. It's Ed Harris because we watched him on Westworld quite a bit, and like, I don't know what voice he did because that doesn't sound like him at all. No, and it honestly, doesn't sound like everyone thought it was uh, Ray Liotta. And I'm just like, I don't think that's him either. Yeah. I've heard that one. I've heard people, people think it was Costner himself. Like, I'm like, that sounds like an odd Costner voice. Yeah. They said that the director, I know I read that the director of the movie did the voice himself the first time, but he said he's replaced it with somebody else. But then again, he could just be like pulling our leg and it was him the whole time, but who knows? I think the Ed Harris theory probably has the most credence. I feel like it makes the most sense. And like, Maybe he didn't want to be credited for it. It's why they just listed it as himself. But I do think he, I think he's probably the closest we're going to get to figuring this out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So anyway, you get, we go along the movie here. We get to the point where they're building the baseball field. I love the Gawkers just staring at him making this field. Like there's, <laughs> there's nothing better to do with their lives in Iowa than watch this guy destroy his crop and build a baseball field. Yes. I mean, I guess I don't fully understand because I'm not a farmer from I like Iowa. Um, but like those little like sound bites that they put in, they're like, he's crazy. And I was just like, this is so over the top, very 80s-esque, you know, like film part of it. It was just really funny. I'm like, you could have definitely done without that. I thought it was pretty hysterical. I also forget, I think when like, right when he leaves, when her, when, uh, Annie, when Annie's brother-in-law, brother Mark shows up the first time to talk about the finance of the farm, when he mm-hmm. leaves and his, his buyer's like, He's on acid. I'm like, just burst out laughing in the middle of this. Yeah. Or like they were having dinner and Annie was like, is this an acid forward? Like it's yeah. not an acid, like flashback. It's like, yeah. you're going to take acid in the future. I thought that was like cute. You know, I thought, you know, she's funny. I really liked her character. in this. Yeah, she was good. And she also points out early in the movies, like, Hey, like this food, this fault, this field, it's like, it's used up all our life savings. Like, how expensive do you think this was in 1989 dollars? I have no idea. You would think things are cheap in Iowa, and then that they went to, maybe they're in debt because they went to, like, college in Berkeley. Yeah. Maybe, like, that's why they're, like, their savings is so low. I'm not too sure. But they bought a lot of nails. I remember he was talking to his daughter, Karen, which I thought that was funny. That was her name. Yeah. uh, With the life that is 2020. Um, but he bought like seven boxes of nails and I feel like that's a lot of nails. You know, they were big boxes. 
Yeah. I don't think actually doing the feel was the most essential part. I think the thing that made it nuts was the lights. The lights were just so, like, over the top. And, like, they had it rigged to the house. Like, that's, that's, that's not cheap. No. And also, they were, like, they looked like stadium-grade lights. Not yeah. like, oh, I'm sure you can find, like, those. You know they have those smaller lights they do on the side of the road for construction? Yeah. They probably had some version of that back in 89. So, I think they really didn't financially plan for this too well. No, they didn't. They had this whole set. So it actually looks like a baseball field. I did I did like that. And mm-hmm. one thing that was interesting, I also noticed right away, is like the film doesn't address this too much, but like the fact that at the beginning of the movie, it's like the only people who can see the players themselves, see Shoeless Joe, the old White Sox, they show up, are Ray's immediate family. Like, why mm-hmm. do you think, what, do you have any theory on why you think they are the only ones who could see the players? Mine's only thing is like because so like his wife is fully backed him kind of deal, you know. Yeah. And then also like for him to go out and do these like like crazy, um, outrageous things like they would have you know like for this whole f- scheme to work like she would have to see them there and stuff, or like she just has a hundred percent you know, um, backup like all this stuff for her husband that like she was like you know quote unquote allowed to see it because it was for him. You know, I don't know. I just go a little more into depth in the, like, reason why. And then always kids believe everything. Yeah. That's probably why Miss Karen got to see everything. Yeah, it's also a little bit like, religious sort of overtone to, like, sort of, like, the baseball guys where, like, you believe in them, yeah, you can see it. Yeah, you, exactly that. And, like, you know, baseball is, like, America's pastime. You know, like, the whole, like, thought, you know, like, the, they a lot of, there's some heavy religious undertones, at least back in the day with baseball. Yeah, def- you know, it's superstitious. Like, you know, a lot of, like, the guys now still wear, like, crosses. And so, you know, I think baseball's always had that, like, church and baseball kind of deal. Yeah, they do have all that kind of church and baseball deal. And we do see, like, obviously they, the whole situation becomes because Raish wants to keep the field. And mm-hmm. you may not be able to because they don't have the money to keep the farm with the mortgage, which I do think incredibly supportive from Annie to let him yep. d- d- destroy his, that much of his crop for the baseball field, considering that that was their livelihood. So ma- major. Exactly. But then again, she was like, let's buy a farm. Like who was like, Oh yeah, let's, let's be farmers. I feel like even back in 1989, that wasn't a smart, you know, career choice to get into. Yeah, it wasn't. And we, we do see a lot of that small town, Iowa vibes, especially in the PTA meeting. When they, oh my god, when that this, was a funny scene. I forgot how great this was. I was watching it again. I'm like, they stuck so many dirty lines into a PG film in 1989. I'm like, literally sitting there. I'm just like, they snuck in. Like, I'm going to use the Seinfeld reference. They snuck in the master of their own domain. They got all yeah. the... <laughs> I, I'm keeping it family friendly. But I forgot that happened entirely. And then that popped up. I'm sitting there going... What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> I'm like... How'd you get this in acid reference in the film in 1989? I think their uh, ratings were a little less strict as they are today. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I think maybe it was just because it was cleverly written. I will say, I mean, they actually got the physical word in, which I was amazed at because in Seinfeld, in the mm-hmm. infamous episode of the contest, they had to come up with different ways to talk around it. Yep. But here, nope, right out in the open. <laughs> just straight out there. Yeah, and that's when we... Get, I think the underrated part of the movie, I think everybody loves the scenes with the baseball field and the players and all that. I think the most underrated part of the movie is Ray's relationship with Hor- with uh, Horace, with Ter- Terrence Mann. 
Yep, and then uh, the whole kidnapping thing was pretty funny too. <laughs> yeah. The kidnapping thing was great. Like the the buddy cop like third of the movie when Ray and Man are together, I think is extremely funny. And I love the Man thing because Man obviously in the book, I don't know if you read this online. Like Man was based on like the book itself called Shoeless Joe. It basically tells the same mm-hmm. story, but the author that Kinsella goes to find is actually J D. Salinger who wrote Catcher in the Rye. Then the film adaptation. Okay. I thought I heard something about this, but yeah. So basically, the story goes is that Salinger threatened to sue the production to hell if they use his likeness. So they re- so created the character of Terrence Mann to t- to sub in for Salinger in the movie. Well, they did the complete opposite of that. Holy moly! Yeah, yeah, because and then like I just I thought his character was super super great. Like you know how like an author like yeah. has some great things, and then my favorite is like. Don't put like it's like don't put your stuff on me, basically. Like yeah. don't put your problems on me. And yeah. he's like, it was just really funny. Like don't blame me for not having kept with your dad. I yeah. feel like that's like a legit thing that authors can, like actually go through. Yeah, another underrated funny moment between Ray and Man when they get to the Red Sox game and they're walking down towards the concessions and <laughs> Ray asks him, "What do you want?" And Man has told me he's like, "I want people to leave me alone. I want them to stop blaming for their problems. All this is like." No, what do you want? And he's just points to the hot dog. You see the three concession guys stand there, like, looking confused. Yeah, was... yeah. <laughs> They're like, uh, funny. And uh, funny enough that it was, like, Miller Lite. Um, right? It was Miller Lite, right? Was the beer that you could see on there? I believe it was. I did not pay close attention to the beer. It was, like, one of those weird things that, like, just stuck out in my brain. I'm just like, interesting. Not like Budweiser, you know? It was, like, Miller. Yeah, I do have another fun fact for you about that Red Sox scene. I think you might find interesting. Oh, because I have one too. Does it have to do with any actors in the movie? Yes, we have the same. We have the same fun fact then. Ah, uh, well, we should have compared notes before, huh? It's all, it's all right. Great. <laughs> you mo- tell me the fun fact, and I will do my acting surprise. Now you give you give me the fun fact. Like just point out, great minds think alike. No, uh, all right. Well, Ben Affleck and what's his face, whose name always gets Matt, me, Matt Damon. Oh, no, Matt Damon. <laughs> I'm picturing him like like he's in um, hunting. I almost called him Will. Yeah. Um, no, they were extras in the baseball thing, but I could I didn't see them in there. Did you like spot them? I did not spot them. They were much younger back then. So. Yeah, they were what like 15 and 16 years old. Yeah, I didn't know where in the scene they were. I tried looking for them, and I paused a couple of times. I just couldn't find them. Yeah, me too. I was like, I think I, like, rewound it, like, a few times. Maybe that's why the Miller Lite thing stuck out to me, because I, like, kept seeing Miller Lite pushed down on <laughs> the screen. Um, but I thought that was so cool. I did not know that until recently. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know that. I, I'm so annoyed I couldn't find them, but we, I do, we do get that moment where man suddenly just, like, I will say that's the creepiest thing also in the movies. And Ray drops man all of a sudden. He's standing in the middle of the road and he basically just recites what they he saw on the school on the scoreboard. Yeah, I don't think James Earl Jones could be like creepy like that, but he did a great A job. I was like every time it's like, cool. Like cause it's like just the headlamp yeah. and the camera turns at such like, you know, such a quick angle and it stops. So that was like really well filmed. Excellent, excellent choice there to do that shot because like you literally it scares the crap out of you the first time you see it. Exactly. And, I mean, it's honestly, it kind of like made me jump this time around. I've seen this movie like 10 or 15 times. And yeah. it's still, I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It does make me go, whoa. And like, I say, after they go to Minnesota, they go looking for Moonlight Graham, the parable of Moonlight Graham. And 
I will say that was also very trippy when Ray happens to walk over walk and somehow ends up back in 1972. Yeah, I thought that was very, like, cleverly done. You know, like, you don't, it doesn't tell you the exact year right away. It kind of, it fades into it. Yeah. And you see, like, The Godfather and, like, Richard Nixon, you know, like, a re-campaign or yeah. a campaign. I'm not sure. I'm not that, I'm not the biggest history buff. Yeah. Um, But then, like, he scratches off the, like, dirt and it's, like, 1972. And I'm just like, holy moly, that was really clever. Yeah. It was very clever. And then we actually do get to meet Moonlight Graham himself, played by the legendary Burt Lancaster. Do you know it was his last movie role was in this movie? Was it? Yeah, it was. It was the last thing. I, I, see, I didn't know that. See, we only had one one similar fun fact. <laughs> yeah, and Burt Lancaster did not want to do this movie. He, one of his friends was a big baseball fan, and he read the book, said, hey, look at this script. You need to do this. And he read the script, like, you know, I'm in. Yeah, because he's honestly one of, you know, my favorite characters. I thought, like, that his whole storyline was, like, really great. Yeah, I don't know how many people realize it, but the story of Moonlight Graham is actually based on a real guy who played on the New York Giants in 1905, where he literally got in one game, played defense, never gotten at bat, and the guy who wrote the book found this, like, he was, like, doing baseball research, decided to make a character about him in the book. Oh, that's so that's so cool. Like, I that's I love little things like little stories like that. Yeah, like he like they fuzz a little bit on the timeline. I think the kid, the real like Moonlight Graham played the middle of the season, his one game. But this one made the last game of the year. Like, but the acting by Burt Lancaster was phenomenal. That was great, and then it's just like when he like transforms to save Karen, and you know, not transforms, yeah. but like yeah. gets like his little different ghostly figure. Yeah. Um, like it was great because this is like he would have picked uh being a doctor all along yeah because like that's what he was meant to do which was like really it was just like very heartwarming it, it was i did like the little details they put in like well like especially like on mm-hmm. the way back when they leave minnesota and they pick up the hitchhiker who's the young moonlight graham somehow i still don't understand how that works but we'll go with it because it's a baseball movie yeah yeah exactly yeah. I, that's the part of the movie i don't really like talk about i'm like whatever just go with it I love that they keep the little details in about how, like, when I think Moonlight Graham actually says, like, as in, like, in the Burt Lancaster version, like, hey, like, I wanted to, you know, go up in the box, like, wink at the pitcher so he makes, make him think that I have something, know something he doesn't. Yep. And then little kid, kid Graham does it. He gets, he gets thrown, he gets the ball thrown in his head. Yeah, in the back. Don't wink at him. Yeah. Yeah, he's like. That's so funny. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, Joe, talk to your kid. He's like. Hey, kid, don't wink at him. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. I mean, we get to the climax. We get to the big confrontation with Mark, basically saying you have to sell the farm. And we have Terrence Mann is back with them. First of all, great job mm-hmm. by Terrence Mann bringing the baseball encyclopedia with him to watch this game so he can keep track of who everybody is. Yeah, making sure he has all his facts. Yeah, making sure he has all of his facts. And... I I did pull some audio from this movie, and he does give one of the greatest movie speeches of all time. I'm going to go to James Earl Jones as Terrence Mann talking about the prophecy of the baseball field. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. 
They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they'd dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. I have to say, this is probably one of the most iconic speeches of all time in a movie, and James Earl Jones just enjoyed the hell out of giving that speech. Yes, and then I also read somewhere that his wife really didn't think that was going to make the movie, which this entire quote actually makes the movie. <laughs> yeah. Hey, James, I'm sure when James Earl Jones saw the script, he's like, that's my spot. That's where I'm going to get to have this epic moment. Mm -hmm. And when they start playing like the patriotic music in the background, it's like, well, how the like the... Like baseball is all about America and all that stuff. You're like, man, this is it gets yep. you fired up. I have um a like canvas, so like my goal is to visit all the baseball stadiums in like you know the U.S. and Canada. Um, but I got to like include a quote, and I included the part of this quote where it's um the one constant through all the years has been baseball. Yeah. I just left out Ray because I'm not Ray. You know, yeah. <laughs> it sounds the same. But um, I just love that part of the movie. It's one of the best parts. It's a phenomenal part. And I do think he was dead on. He forced, he got a vision and he was accurate. Because as we see at the end of the movie, all the people start showing up. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that the daughter had it first. Yeah. She's like, don't worry, people will come. Yeah. Yeah, the daughter's a little creepy at times, I will say. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> And yes, it's like that's what happens when it's part supernatural, you know, a supernatural movie. You get yeah. the creepy kid. Yeah, we do get the creepy kid. And the, the poor creepy kid, like she's like collateral damage when Mark when Mark and Ray have the fight and she falls off the bleachers, he's choking. And then one of the funniest moments in the entire movie is when Art like little Archie Graham comes off the field, turns into real life uh Burt Lancaster, like old moon like mm -hmm. Graham and you see Mark in the background just mouthing WTF when he sees this. He has no idea what's yes, going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, where the hell did this guy come from? Yeah. He's like, what, what is going on here? Like, literally. And then, like, I just think it was, such, like you said before, such a great moment when he does what he has to do and all the players give him the salute on the way off the field. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. That was such, a, like, an emotional thing. I was like, oh, he's, like, he's done being a baseball player and being a ghost. <laughs> 
Yeah, because they do tease that very well at the beginning of the movie where Joe Jackson, like Ray has to come in the house and he's like, Oh, I can't come I can't cross the line if I can't come back. And the fact that he, Exactly that little Archie Grant is making that sacrifice to save to save the to save Karen is awesome. Yeah, because he knew all along he was meant to be a doctor. Yeah. He was and we get the great twinkle on Burt Lancaster's eyes, he leaves the field, heads to the cornrows. Like that was that was also very nice. It was. Yeah. Speaking of the cornrows, we do get the interesting conclusion at the end also where Chewless Joe invites Man to go with them into the cornrows. And I don't know about you. I feel like it's heavily implied that Man dies there. That's what I thought too. And But he's like, I'll come back. And I'm just like, are you coming back? Like, that's like the, you know, quote unquote ghost world. Yeah. You know, so I'm just like, okay, bye, James Earl Jones. <laughs> yeah, so I think they make such a big deal about it, and like, like I think he knows too. He tells Ray, he's like, no, you're attached. I'm like, I'm unattached. You have a family, so I think he knows that. Like, you go there, you die. Yeah, that, and also like, it's the to get him there, it was ease his pain. Yeah. So you know, like you ease his pain before he like you know passes. Yeah. I have no idea. My thought was he dies. I guess you can make a case that you know. He doesn't. He comes back. He like brings the light out of the cave, you know, using Plato's lovely allegory. But um, so I don't know. I, my my vote is no more James Earl Jones, aka no more Terrence Mann. No more Terrence Mann crossing the line. You think he can still show up and be on the field? But I don't think he's gonna actually like be like going inside Ray's house anymore. True. Would he? Would he come back as? his like, you know, quote unquote current age, or would he come back as like his author self where he like was in pain all the time? Cause he mentioned that, like he suffered a lot when he was that activist. Yeah. I think considering, considering movie world version, I think we get James Earl Jones. So we have James Earl Jones again, but if they found a good young actor to do it. You can do it as younger Terrence. True. Man. That's true. Cause you don't, I don't think you pass on James Earl Jones. If you have the, have the opportunity. Exactly. Even Lion King went back to James Earl Jones doing Mufasa again because they couldn't find a better voice for him than James Earl Jones. Exactly. He's probably like, I am so happy I was left with this voice, you know? Yeah, he does. And then we get the great moment at the end where we finally find out that the he in this thing was not Shoeless Joe, but Ray's father. And we get the iconic scene at the end. That's the other clip I have in here. I'm going to play that for us now to take take us out of the movie recap. Catch a good game. Thank you. So beautiful here. For me, well, for me, it's like a dream come true. Can I ask you something? Is is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa?
Maybe this is heaven. Yeah, so literally, like, this clip, this moment, where we basically get the whole movie, we realize it's not it's about Ray coming to terms of, like, his relationship with his father and him getting to have that moment where he gets to have the catch with his dad after all these years always hits you in the field. And I feel like I feel like I can't get to this movie without bringing a tear to my eye every time I see it. Yeah, the only thing that pulls that away is, like, no, this is Iowa. Like, that killed me. I'm like, ah. I wish there was a better way to phrase that that doesn't make it sound so, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just so harsh. Yeah. Like, it's like, no, it's Iowa. Like, oh my God. Like, yeah. but other than that, like, it's just like nice because everything gets like tied together because his biggest regret in the whole movie was how he left things with his father. And it's just like great that it got to be resolved and everything. Yeah. And how the entire movie tied back to his dad, like from start to finish, which was a really nice, like poetic, um, storyline yeah good story arc for ray kinsella to come to basically realize that like he messed up his relationship with his father and probably getting the chance to correct it through this baseball field that and also like i feel like he didn't realize how it is to be an adult you know and yeah. you, you don't realize how like how much your parents sacrifice or even if you think yeah. they're kind of being mean or harsh until you realize until you're their age and you're like oh well i understand why he's behaving that way because it's hard to do new things yeah it is, and it's also something we learned from Ray, too, is that Ray talks about the beginning of the movie in the manga about how he's played it completely safe his entire life, where, like, he got married, he had a farm, he went in the middle of the country, he just kind of just lived in every man's life. Now he's doing crazy things like building a baseball field, driving to Boston mm-hmm. to find a reclusive writer, going to <laughs> Minnesota, picking up hitchhikers. Like, he's living life. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead. Like, obviously, I, I think an A for this movie. Would you agree? I'd give it a B plus for the fact that like, you know, there's just some inconsistencies, like some inconsistencies that I can't overlook. I'm very harsh critic. Um, but it is one of like my top three baseball movies. Well, maybe we'll talk about that in the future. Maybe we'll go into more about which baseball movies are, are better. Oh, the entire, uh, your entire podcast nation listening will hate me for the baseball movies that I like. So I feel like this is where they'll like me. And then if we talk about it in the future about what other baseball movies I like, that's when they'll hate me. Well, that's a tease folks. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's get out some more hardware. Who is the MVP of the movie in your opinion? Um, MVP's gotta be just Moonlight Graham. I don't know. I just, like I said, I just really stuck to that storyline. And, like, you know, like, tied for first is Annie. Like, I could not ever imagine, like, if I ever get married, my husband's like, I'm going to go build a baseball field. I'll be like, are you feeling all right? You're hearing (laughs) voices? Are you good? Like, other than that, I think they're the two MVPs of the movie. So, basically, if that happened, you would basically be asking your husband, are you on acid? (laughs) Yeah, probably. It might just be, like, a deja vu of the movie, you know? (laughs) 
yeah, I, I think those are good choices. I will go with Terrence Mann because I think like he takes it to another degree of excellence when James Earl Jones shows up. Like we're kind of like plot we do plot a little bit before we get to him. And I think the fun really starts when James Earl gets in here. Sorry, right, I can agree with that. The fun doesn't really start until he shows up. Yeah. Let's go the other direction. Who is the worst character in this movie? I mean, a little bit Ray. He's kind of like the LVP uh, for the fact that he kind of was a hella judgmental child. And then, you know, he cut down all his corn, almost lost his house. But who's more of the like the LVP is his name is David, correct? Her, her brother. Mark. Oh, it's Mark. Yep. Literally, he like so annoying the entire film hates everybody also causes little Karen to almost choke to death. Yeah. And then he's just like, Oh, don't sell. Like what a change of heart. You crazy, but you know, yeah. He only said don't sell. Cause he finally saw the baseball players. That's the only reason why he said not to sell. <laughs> I know. I understand. Yeah. But like he should have believed in his sister and his brother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. He's on the top of the board there. My vote for the LVP goes to the woman complaining about Terrence Mann's book at the PTA meeting because, like, so completely out of touch with reality, this woman. Oh, my God. That's why it's not heaven yeah. in Iowa. It's just Iowa. That's why he had – I guess that's why they had to say it. Like, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa because we have ladies like that at the PTA meeting. That's why I was so happy with Annie. It was a good MVP pick because Annie puts her in her place hard. And like walks yes, out there like what's out there like yes democracy rules <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like it's like the America of this film that moment yeah she's so hyped up and then oh uh, freaking Ray's like I gotta go and she's like what do you mean like this is, my stuff is super important he's like no I figured it out yeah she took away some of her thunder although I will I will say she did gain like points of credibility for me when she was like okay that's a bridge too far you're leaving the middle of this to go to Boston and then like. I do think that that they both have the same dream about him and man watching the baseball game at Fenway Park was a bit was a bit nuts. Yeah, they definitely needed that scene to be like she's not a crazy person too. Like, yeah, yeah. go ahead, go to Boston. Like, it was good that they had that scene. It really made things a little more realistic. Yeah, it did. I think that's a good place to stop on Field of Dreams. We had a lot of fun diving into this, Sam. Before we got you go, we always talk about the streaming picks and people come on here. What is the stuff you've been watching of late? Um, I've definitely been watching a lot of repeats of baseball games because I'm getting myself hyped, but for streaming, streaming purposes, I've been watching the floor is lava. Um, it's definitely a very lighthearted show that you can watch like two episodes and then you kind of get bored of it, but it's like highly entertaining. If you ever played with your friends, the floor is lava, but this is just like on times a thousand. Yeah, so it's not, it's not, is it as crazy pants as, it's, as the concept sounds? It's just, like, really, okay, so remember when you were younger, you would, you would watch Nick, Nickelodeon, like, the game shows? Yes. So, it's like that, but, like, 2020. So, it's like, you know what I mean? It's, like, corny and cheesy, but they still have to complete the obstacle course, you know? Yeah. That's, would, like, basically me summing up that show. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it's, like, it almost makes it sound like it'd be more fun to do, like, a revival of like guts when you have the kids go up the aggro crack at the end of the thing that's what i would like that to see was my favorite i love that show that and legends of the hidden temple yeah i was more of a guts kid and i love the aggro crack i always like wanted to be able to do that one day it's like go like 
go up the rep- repel up the aggro crag try and win the game right yeah. yeah and i just love that like do 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 you have it good yeah. well, that's gonna be stuck in my head for like three weeks yeah that's yeah i i might check that out just for curiosity how bad it is if it's like if it's so bad it's good that's sounds like something i would be interested in like if you have like 30 minutes where you have nothing to do and you kind of want to scroll on your phone while watching something on tv i think that's the perfect show for you yeah, I will say that's something I could keep an eye on. I've been, I want to get into the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries. They had that on Netflix just dropped today. There's six new episodes out. I love the original show. That sounds like fun. Okay, I haven't seen any of those. I'll put that on my queue. Yeah, and in terms of like shows that I'm like just mindless, what I have like stuff going on in the background. I want on the nostalgia trip. I will randomly throw on an old episode of like the original like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's always fun. Just cart- just like popcorn movie like TV show. Yeah. Oh, I've also been putting on um Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. On HBO Max. Yeah, it's, it's John Stanko mentioned that recently. They all the old episodes are on there. Yeah, and I, and they're still hilarious as they were in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, did you see did you see the clip on Twitter a few weeks ago where Whose Line, I think in the current version, actually made a timely reference to systemic racism oh no i haven't i'll have to go check that out it was a scene from a hat bit where they were basically were pointing out like like i had something in reference to like i think it was like a police lineup sketch where like wayne like basically like had wayne and ryan and colin standing there and somebody was like oh like tell us which person did this and they were both like ryan and colin both like stuffing towards wayne and then, oh my god! And then Wayne did one where he held the white guys in the panel. I left, and Alicia, Aisha Tyler, who's the host, goes up. Wayne's like, "Quick, point me, point to me who did your who? Which of these three did insider trading?" <laughs> oh my god! I'll have to re- I'll have to watch that. That sounds hilarious. Yeah, I'll I'll find it for you and send it to you. But whose line is definitely woke these days? Oh, very. All right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people keep up with you on social media? You can follow me um, at S D E R O S five on Twitter. Um, that's probably the best way to reach me. <laughs> All right, thanks again, Sam. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Dan Federico for calling in to talk about the New York Yankees as they get ready for the 2020 season. I also want to thank Ian Sachs, Anthony Sarbellini, and Troy Morio for having on the Yankee Fan Forum. I also want to thank Sandra for taking the time to take a deep dive into Field of Dreams. It was a fun look back at the greatest baseball movie of all time, in my opinion. If you don't agree with that, you can feel free to tweet at me at mphillis331. Again, mphillis331 on Twitter. If you disagree with my take, the Field of Dreams is the best baseball movie ever. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the Yankees projected 30-man roster, and this is, again, this was done a little bit before the news, the first two positive tests came out about DJ LeMahieu and Luis Sessa. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all roll episodes there. Feel free to give your feedback and star rank as well. Or I like this podcast even better going forward. They mean a lot, guys. Take a time, leave a review, leave a star rating. Help get the podcast more noticed by other listeners. Get people more things to listen to. Get this podcast chance to improve as we move forward. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube. And I will put the individual segments from this episode up there. So if you want to hear Dan Federico talking Yankees only, you can go there. That video will be on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. 
and tweet me the hashtag go the distance in me at the end of this week's podcast. Good feel at dreams reference. Hashtag go the distance if you made it to the end of this week's podcast. Next week on the podcast, talking some Mets, talking to Newsday's Tim Healy about the Mets, Met Fan Forum, a little bit of John Stanko and more. Till then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.